everyone. It's on. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Rachel. And this time I'm going to do a proper introduction where I'm not cut off because this is the Plant Simo podcast. This is my sixth episode. And I'm here today with Wendy, the nomadic vegan, author of a very popular and interesting blog where she travels all across the world trying incredible vegan options. I mean, how cool is that? Welcome, Wendy. Thanks for coming on. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, of course. I mean, starting off, the nomadic vegan. I know some people listening may not necessarily know what a nomadic lifestyle is, what it entails. Like, Can you tell us all a bit about that and your journey to getting to this point where you do that? Sure. Um, well, I mean, nomadism can mean a lot of different things. Mm. Obviously, you know, you have people hundreds and for hundreds and thousands of years who've been living a nomadic lifestyle, typically not a very vegan one because uh, nomads <laughs> traditionally were, you know, herders who were mm. herding animals and then living um, off, of, off of those animals. Uh, and you still have people doing that in places like Mongolia today, uh, which I traveled to last year as oh, a vegan. Wow. Um, so <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit if you want. Um, and then more recently, I'd say probably in the past decade or so, uh, you've had this movement of digital nomads, um, mm. you know, where people uh, are now able to work uh, from a laptop computer or even from a mobile phone from pretty much anywhere in the world. And so lots of people have taken the opportunity to take their lives, you know, and uh, to wherever they want to go and not... Yeah. Uh, and just be indicate, uh, sorry, location independent was the word I was trying to get out. Um, and, you know, travel, but at the same time, uh, in some cases, hold down a full-time job or mm. maybe do freelance kind of work, um, you know, and blogging and all different kinds of things that you can do on the internet and on the internet these days. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I fall into uh, the latter category. I guess the digital nomad is what uh, you would say. And technically, I'm, I guess, a semi-nomad because mm. my husband and I do have a home base, which is in Lisbon, Portugal. So that's where I am now. Uh, we moved here at the beginning of 2017. And typically, um, so obviously this year is very different in many ways, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but typically we would spend about six months out of the year in Lisbon and then we'd spend the rest of the year traveling in different places around the world. And that really has been working out great for us because we have the best of both worlds. You know, we get to travel and have that freedom and independence and explore as much as we want to but then we're also able to come back to a home and have you know a little bit of a settled life where we can cook well my husband does most of the cooking but you know cook with all of our uh, pots and pans and and blender and food processor and all that stuff that you don't necessarily have when you're traveling um you know just have a little bit more uh stability and, and routine Hmm. Uh, so yeah I guess I am a semi-nomad a vegan semi-nomad 
That's so cool. I really want to touch on what you said there about us all becoming digital nomads in a way through technology. And obviously with the coronavirus pandemic, it's been a necessity for a lot of people to move huge parts of their lives online. But that's so interesting. I never thought of it in that way. You know, we're all kind of traversing about and utilizing these technologies to do that. It's, It's really cool. Yeah, and and I think you're going to see a lot more people doing it now, you know, post-pandemic or during the pandemic because so many people have switched to teleworking and they've realized that it's a viable option for them and, you know, if they have a boss in a company, their their boss Mm -hmm. has realized, okay, this works. And so in a lot of cases, people are going to realize for the first time that this opportunity is available and once travel opens up again, because, you know, right now that's uh, (laughs) teleworking in the first place is because we're supposed to be staying at home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, once that changes, I think that a lot of things that have moved online temporarily are going to end up moving online permanently. And then that frees people up in a lot of ways to, to, to travel and to, yeah, be location independent if that's the kind of lifestyle that they want. It's not for everybody. Um, So I'm not trying to tell everyone (laughs) that they have to be a digital nomad, but it works out great for me and I know for a lot of other people as well. Mm. Yeah, well, that's so true about like technology freeing up everyone to, you know, live their lives and travel more and see more things and not be, you know, like permanently stuck almost in one place due to the necessity of having to work somewhere. But um, yeah, definitely. I really want to touch now on your travel, what you do, the things you enjoy. And obviously you mentioned Mongolia, which is crazy. I've never met anyone who's traveled to Mongolia and visited and interacted with the culture. So I'd love to hear about that if you'd Yeah, sure. We can start with Mongolia. Um, Honestly, I mean, before going there, I was kind of worried. I had wanted to Mm. go there for many years, but I really didn't think that the whole vegan thing was going to go very well (laughs) in Mongolia. And uh, even before I was vegan, um, Mm. I've been vegan for six years now. Um, but I've wanted to go to Mongolia for longer than that. Uh, and I remember my husband and I talking about it and talking with other travelers that we met in different places who had been there before. And everyone talked about how horrible the food was and how it was nothing but mutton. Oh, God. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, just boiled mutton. And they talked about how everything stank of mutton and the smell oh, would be your clothes and everything. And, um, You know, I, like I said, I've only been vegan for six years, but I was never a big meat eater. I was never really, you know, into eating meat. And when I did eat meat, I would prefer if it was, you know, little tiny cubes that didn't really look like an animal where I could pretend Mm. that it was something else. Um, So I was not very excited about the idea of, you know, gnawing on this bone of mutton. Uh, But thankfully... (laughs) We did not have to do that. Um, It was actually a really amazing trip. Uh, Before we went, I connected online with uh, a woman named Ulfi, who is vegan and is Mm -hmm. Mongolian. She lives in the capital there in Ulaanbaatar. And she was just starting up her own vegan travel company. Oh, cool. cool. um, Yeah. So my husband and I were basically her first clients. Mm. And We traveled all around the country with her for a little more than two weeks, 16 days, I believe it was, um, with her and a local driver. Um, and she cooked most, almost all of the meals for us. 
mm-hmm. but she traditional Mongolian dishes, but veganized. So that was really special because we were still able to, you know, experience the local cuisine, uh, which is something that a lot of people worry about. They think, oh, if I try to stay vegan when I'm traveling, I'm going to be missing out because I'm Mm. not going to taste, you know, all the local specialties, which is not true. Um, I mean, I've found that uh, it's actually being vegan has made me a foodie traveler, which I never was before. I would just eat whatever was cheap and easy. You know, I'd eat McDonald's all the time when I was traveling. But now I do a lot of research about the local cuisine, to, you know, in wherever I'm going. And then I always discover local dishes that do happen to be vegan. And then mm. I seek those out when I'm there. Or, you know, also going to vegan and vegetarian restaurants there a lot of those places will also veganize their local dishes Mm. so um you're not going to miss out wherever you are but mongolia was one place where i thought okay we're not going to be tasting mongolia (laughs) Um, um and it is true that most of the dishes do feature mutton but uh she was able to you know Uh, change those up for us and we actually had some really delicious amazing food uh, Mm. which is something I've never heard anyone say when they come back from Mongolia uh, whether they're vegan or vegetarian or an omnivore um, well I've never met any other vegans that have ever been to Mongolia I don't think but the (laughs) omnivores that I have met that they Mm. always complained about the food no one ever had a good culinary experience there Um, so ironically as a vegan and because I was a vegan, I did have a really great culinary experience. Well, clearly that, that seems to imply if you want to go to Mongolia and not just have like a total mutton fest, you need to go vegan. Just, (laughs) yeah, it's honestly, (laughs) yeah, it's crazy just how people set you up to have certain expectations of a place, especially when it comes to something like living a plant-based lifestyle, like, oh, there's going to be no options for you. You know, you're not going to be able to find anything to eat as if the culture there isn't already innovating, as if there aren't vegans who are already living there, who are creating outlets and festivals and veganizing, you know, traditional dishes that you can try. And I don't know if you know the vegan voyagers. They're quite active on YouTube and Instagram. Yes. Let me make sure I'm thinking about the right people. Is that Hayden and Aaron? Yeah, yeah. They're they're so lovely. And I I had them on, actually. And we talked about their experience in um, Mexico and how many, just the sheer amount of vegan options that they found when they were going to different places and, you know, how people set up this image of, certain cultures and cuisines you know like like you with Mongolia and mutton you know oh there's only going to be mutton but it's it's not true there are vegans everywhere (laughs) yeah absolutely and if someone is telling you you know oh you're never going to be able to eat vegan there Mm. if they're not vegan themselves you can just ignore everything that they're saying because (laughs) uh, you know I mean they're not looking for it so Mm. yeah when they went all they saw was mutton but that was because they they weren't vegan and so they weren't looking for things that were vegan and trying to seek those out. Um, so yeah, if someone who doesn't lead the same kind of lifestyle that you do tries to give you advice about Mm. vegan travel, I would just ignore it. Um, (laughs) honestly, I mean, it's so much easier than I thought that it was going to be. And Mm. that was six years ago when I first became vegan and I was blown away by how many vegan options there were. Uh, in the different places that I visited. And now, 
I mean, things have progressed so much. There are so many more products mm -hmm. coming out on the market and so many more vegan and vegetarian restaurants all around the world and also mainstream restaurants that have realized that there's a market and a demand for vegan food. And so they're also adding vegan options onto their menus as well. So, mm -hmm. it, I mean, there's never been a better time to travel as a vegan. Yeah, exactly. That, that's so true. And what you were saying about, you know, if you're not searching for it, you're not going to find it, right? I mean, the fact that you live a plant-based lifestyle, you've had to be innovative with food, you've had to experiment, and all of that has made you more appreciative of food as a whole. So I think there's a lesson there for people, no matter what kind of dietary lifestyle you lead, you know, that you should like look for different options out there and broaden your horizons especially when you travel because like you say there are so many more vegan options now today especially with the advent of the internet where there's so many resources online that you can find and you can try and on that note I'm actually curious where you've been in terms of countries where would you say had the most kind of vegan options for you to try oh gosh hmm. all right Good question. I mean, I kind of, when people ask me this question, I kind mm -hmm. of think of it in two separate categories. On the one hand, you have the destinations that have a really strong vegan movement. And mm. so because of that, lots of options have been created, like in the past few years. And then on the other hand, you have places where it may be that locals have never heard the word vegan before, but the food that they already eat as part of their traditional diet happens to be a largely plant-based diet or to have at least a lot of vegan options mm. um, among the local dishes. So I've been to both kinds of places before, and um, I love exploring them equally. Um, actually, the very first place that I traveled to when I became vegan was Greece. Ooh. And, um, and I was honestly blown away by how many vegan options there were, even though I never went to a single fully vegan restaurant in mm. Greece. Um, at the time in Athens, in the capital, there were only two vegetarian restaurants. Oh um, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, and there are a lot more now and a lot mm. of vegan places too. So the boom in the past five or six years has been incredible. But mm. even without that, you don't need all of the vegan restaurants because you can go into any typical Greek tavern and you will find loads of plant-based dishes. And mm. that's largely because of uh, the, the religious influence of the Greek Orthodox Church. So they have a tradition of fasting they call it fasting, but uh, it doesn't mean that you're not eating anything at all. It just means that during these fasting periods, you don't eat certain foods, which mm. are all animal foods, essentially. So um, and people, when they're fasting, uh, when Greek Orthodox believers are fasting, they're eating virtually a, a, a vegan diet with just a couple mm. of exceptions. Um, mm. They do eat honey and they do eat some sea creatures, um, like octopus uh, or crab, but they won't eat fish uh, and they won't eat any land animals or any dairy or eggs. Um, so just because of that tradition and, and there are lots of fasting days. Mm. So you have a, a period of several weeks uh, leading up to Easter, the period of Lent. Um, so that's probably the most popular fast. And then you also have one leading up to Christmas. And then some people who are very religious will also fast every Wednesday and every Friday. 
oh my throughout God. the entire year. Mm. Um, so there are something like 180 fasting days uh, on the calendar in Greece. So naturally, you're going to have lots of dishes that are part of the cuisine that are suitable for people to eat during this fasting period. Mm. Um, and and that's what I discovered when I was there. I didn't know anything about that before, but it was only because um, I was trying to do this as a vegan and uh, didn't really know if it was possible. Like this was actually a trial run for me because my husband and I had already booked a three-week trip to Greece. And I had been moving closer and closer to veganism. I was vegetarian and doing like vegan before 6 p.m. And then mm. only, you know, eating maybe eggs or dairy in the evening. So I was trying to get there closer and closer. But travel was one of the biggest things that was holding me back. Or my fear that being vegan was going to ruin travel was mm. one of the things holding me back. And so I used that trip to Greece as kind of a trial run to see if it was possible to stay vegan for the whole time that I was there. And I honestly, I, I, practically every meal I was trying a different dish. Like, there were so many different dishes to try that were naturally vegan. Mm. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have done some research beforehand. So that's the big difference, I think, between these kind of two categories of places that are vegan friendly because there are lots of vegans there mm. and places are vegan friendly because that for whatever reason, whether it's religious or geographical or whatever, um, they happen to have a very vegan friendly traditional cuisine. Because in those places, the vegan options are not going to be marked as vegan on the menu. Mm. Um, even if you ask, you know, a server in a restaurant, what vegan options do you have? They might not know what you're talking about. And they might say, oh, we don't have anything vegan, um, which is probably not true. So you need to, it, it always pays to do a little bit of research about the local cuisine before you head off and then know which, which dishes you can look for mm -hmm. and, um, and also which kind of hidden animal ingredients to watch out for as well because those change from one country to another too. Oh, that's, that's crazy. What you, what you say though about research being so crucial, not even just when you're traveling, but if you're making a, like a big lifestyle change, like becoming vegan, it's so critical to actually know what you're doing, right? And that being your first experience, that must have been amazing. Just your expectations completely blown away by what was there. And on, on top of that, I... I think people often forget the influence that religion can have on like national dietary habits and stuff like that, because, you know, I rarely consider it, but it's very true. Like countries that typically eat less pork and stuff like that tend to have, you know, historically Muslim or Christian influences. And yeah, just that's so interesting. Like those lengthy periods of fasting, just like not intentionally, but leading to more plant-based options just being accessible to people and that just being part of the culture. That that must have been really, really cool to experience. It was, yeah. It was really eye-opening. And I felt like I, um, you know, had a better understanding of the culture uh, and of the country because uh, I was seeing it through this new vegan lens, which was all mm -hmm. very new to me. Um but yeah, um, the Orthodox fasting periods, that's, uh, uh, that takes place not just in Greece, but in uh, lots of other countries as well, particularly mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe, um, in Russia to some extent, um, and also in Ethiopia, mm. uh, in Africa. Ethiopia also has an Orthodox church, mm. and 
Um, so they follow very similar fasting traditions there. And Ethiopian food is amazing. Have you ever had Ethiopian, Rachel? I have actually, yeah. I I live in London, and I recently right. went to a Ethiopian restaurant in Shepherd's Bush, and like I absolutely loved it. It was my first time trying any Ethiopian food. I tried like uh, I'm trying to make sure I'm pronouncing this properly, but um, injera the first time, you know, like the spongy sort of bread, and I loved yeah. it. And everyone there was like they they were just so nice and friendly to us, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, that is one of my favorite cuisines of all time. Unfortunately, mm. we don't have any Ethiopian restaurants in Lisbon where I'm living now. And that's the one thing that I really miss. <laughs> but in general, <laughs> we can get most cuisines here and several other African cuisines as well, because there is a large <laughs> African community from mostly from the former colonies of Portugal. So from Angola and Cabo Verde and Mozambique, um, places like that. Uh, people who have moved from those countries have mm. opened restaurants. So, um, and some of those have some good vegan options as well. So, yeah, I love trying different cuisines from all over the world. Yeah, and it's it's insane that you know you can be in your own home country, and there are people who have just you know brought over their own like cuisines and their tradition from places like Ethiopia and all across like the whole continent of Africa and stuff like that. And you get the opportunity to kind of you know enjoy and share in that cultural experience. I think that's so cool. And yeah, the whole like innovating kind of traditional national recipes and veganizing them, I think, is such a cool thing. Not just when it comes to travel, but also so there's so many more options these days of popular mainstream dishes like here in the UK and the West that have been veganized. And I think that is such a great way for people if they want to go vegan to go vegan, to experiment with that. Because it's almost like it's it's close to home in a way. Like it's comfortable without being too out there. And then you can move on to other things. And actually speaking about that, I wanted to touch on you and your own sort of personal journey to living a plant-based lifestyle. Cause obviously you mentioned a little bit that you were vegetarian before, but like what what were the main sort of motivations to go vegan, to live plant-based for you? Yeah, so it started in, um, I'd say, May of 2014, and then mm. it was a process of a, a few months until September was when I had that, that trip in Greece. And the day that my plane touched down in Athens, which was September 10th, that's mm. the day that I now celebrate as my vegan anniversary. Uh, oh, my God. That was the last thing holding me back was, you know, am I going to be able to travel still if if I make this big jump to being vegan? And once I realized that I could and I was like, OK, well, I'm vegan now then. Um, so but yeah, initially it was an interest in health and nutrition. Mm. Yeah. Um, my father had just passed away recently um, from. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's. Yeah, I mean, it was a few years ago now. It's okay. Yeah, but they, yeah. Um, uh, so he had died from complications from type 1 diabetes and was mm. just in a really, really bad place uh, for the last couple of months of his life. He was bedridden. And seeing that, I knew that I didn't want to live up, live like that. And, and yeah. like that. So that um, kind of jolted me into looking into what I could do to optimize my own health and what kind of impact my own daily lifestyle choices were having on my own health. So uh, I ended up listening to a telesummit 
by John and Ocean Robbins called The Food Revolution Summit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was just a bunch of interviews with people who I now know are very well-known experts and authorities in the plant-based world. At that time, I'd never heard of any of these people before. Um, They were, you know, mostly doctors and nutritionists and mostly talking about the health side. Mm. Uh, But then there was one, the only interviewee who I did know beforehand was Alicia Silverstone, the actress. Um, And she's also vegan. And she was talking um, more about the animals. And I'm about the same age as her. And so I grew up, you know, watching her movies when I was a teenager. And so that kind of, you know, made me sit up and take notice when she was talking about um, animal rights and compassion for animals and things like this. Mm. And then just a few days after watch, after listening to her interview, I was at a used book sale and I happened to see her book there oh. uh, for sale. <laughs> Uh, called The Kind Diet. So I picked that up. And at that point, I still had no intention of going vegan. That sounded really extreme to me back then. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I didn't know anyone who was vegan. I'd never met a vegan before. Um, I was living in Geneva, Switzerland at the time where the food was very much animal based. You know, mm. everything had cheese in it. And um, yeah, lots of meat and cheese and potatoes. And that that was pretty much it. Um, yeah, we didn't have many options for for having vegan food when eating out. Mm. And uh, so it was just something that seemed really kind of fringe and really out there to me. Um, and I didn't think I could go that far, but I was still interested in, you know, playing around with the idea a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and Alicia Silverstone's book, The Kind Diet, I loved the approach that she took because she really encouraged her readers to to flirt with the idea of veganism, you know, yeah. and it was so non-judgmental, you know, and it because if she had told me you have to go, you know, vegan right now and just cut mm-hmm. out all animal products, I wouldn't have done it. I would have just put the book aside and, you know, I don't know if I would be vegan today. But um, it was because she encouraged these baby steps and said, okay, you know, you just have to flirt, like, you know, no commitment, but you have to have an open mind to it. Mm. And uh, just start by going to a health food store and picking out some foods and some ingredients that you've never tried before and try cooking something with them. And uh, she gave some recipes. And and so that was what got me started on my journey. And then I started educating myself more and learning more about uh, the environmental impact of the animal mm. agriculture industry and also all of the horrible things that were happening to animals in the meat and dairy and egg industries. And that yeah. very quickly became my number one motivation for, for wanting to go fully vegan. Um, I think if it if it had just stayed with, you know, the health benefits, then I probably would have said, okay, well, I can just be vegan most of the time and, and mm. that'll be enough. But when I learned about, you know, the suffering that I was causing by mm. eating these things, I couldn't justify it anymore. And, you know, I said, I, I consider myself an animal lover mm. and uh, I'm being really hypocritical by, by consuming <laughs> their dead bodies. <laughs> Mm. And um, by paying people to kill them uh, just so that I can enjoy the taste of something. So, um, yeah, that was what pushed me over and made me 
decide that if I was going to live in alignment with my own values, then I really had to take that final step and, and become fully vegan. Yeah, it just, wow. I mean, there's there's so many layers to your own sort of personal journey, you know, like obviously like the health scare and everything and then moving on into seeing this actress and obviously you had this whole perception of veganism as very fringe and extreme, right? You know, and, and it is that whole thing of seeing someone you know, someone who's very like relatable and you look up to and admire, just showing you that this can be a perfectly normal lifestyle. You're not missing out on anything. It's not extreme. You know, you don't have to be constantly you know like telling people about it in a way that's very confrontational because with our brand like Plant Simo we're, we're all about that kind of attitude right like like inclusivity not judging people's dietary choices and we still talk obviously about the benefits to the environment and obviously you know like helping to lessen the exploitation of animals that comes with living a plant-based diet but in a way where you know like you said no one wants to feel as if they're being attacked for something that for them for most of their life they've been raised to do it they think it's perfectly normal you know it's just how they live and no one wants to suddenly feel as if all of that has been like completely shifted and now they're an evil person for doing that so yeah I, I, I totally agree with that and was a like zeroing in more on the health aspect you were talking about, do you do you feel a change, like a change in your health from being on a plant-based diet? Um, my health is great. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't experiencing any serious health problems at the time. It was yeah. more, you know, getting jolted by seeing my, oh, my father. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Everything that he had gone through. So um, I don't kind of have a big before and after story, you know, mm. of these radical changes that took place in my health. Um, but I feel great, yeah. Mm. Um, I have lots of energy. I did uh, lose a few extra pounds when I first went vegan. Mm. Of course, now with all of the vegan junk food that's available, it's uh, <laughs> that's not a given for <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know I do have to be careful with what I eat and not get so many vegan magnums and um, beyond burgers and things like that but um, yeah um, you know I, I think it's definitely um, been a great benefit to my health for sure yeah yeah definitely and I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that you can feel those those kind of changes have happened from it but what you said there about comfort food I, I think that's a great thing Every, everything in moderation it, it makes yeah. me so happy those kind of options are available for vegans now that you can go to Burger King and you can have something other than fries you know that, that you've got those options available yeah, absolutely. And I do go to Burger King now every now and again, <laughs> which I hadn't been to in many years. Um, and, you know, obviously, it's not the kind of company that I want to be supporting, but it's not something that I do regularly. But um, sometimes it's the only option around. And um, sometimes you just want to have that nostalgic feeling of, you know, yeah. the taste that you uh, grew up with uh, for your whole life and so I think it's great that those options are there because I remember when I was first you know thinking about going vegan and I would think mm. oh but I could never have this food again and oh but what about that I could never eat that again and mm. then I would frantically start start searching um, Google to see if there was if someone had made a vegan version of a recipe for for this food um, and in a lot of cases, it was something that I hadn't eaten in years, mm. but just 
thought that I would never be able to eat it ever again for my whole life. Yeah. Um, you know, that was really scary. So if, you know, if someone thinks that about Whoppers or about Magnum ice cream bars, now they don't have to worry about that because they know they can get a Whopper when they, whenever they want and they can get a Magnum ice cream bar whenever they want. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even Ben and Jerry's have got tons of vegan options now, which I think is fantastic. But I think, you know, so many people talk about veganism as if it's such an extreme change. And part of that, part of what contributes to that kind of, you know, unreal perspective, right, is this idea that, you know, it's, it's a very restrictive diet. You know, you can't enjoy things like, you know, chocolates or, you know, like, I don't know, mac and cheese. But yeah, those options are available. And I think for anyone on any kind of diet, it doesn't matter if you're plant based or if you're an omnivore, it's important to have balance in your diet. So you should never be saying I can never have, you know, this bad thing again, because that thing is bad. I think if you've made a decision like I'm not eating animal products because morally I'm not okay with that, that's very different to saying, I'm never going to eat chocolate because chocolate is bad or shameful. Do you know what I mean? I'm, yes. I have huge issues with like the whole morality culture around food. And it, it really annoys me how people get that confused with aspects of being vegan because there doesn't have to be anything restrictive about being vegan you can enjoy all the same things you would on a on a regular diet right but you just have to find different plant-based options it's just a whole new way of enjoying food rather than sacrificing something absolutely yeah that's a really good point and I think it you know it's easy to see how, how people would confuse that but for me um now I don't even view those things as food anymore. You know, mm. I mean, if it was if it's a dead body, I that's what I see. I see a dead body, or yeah. <laughs> you know, someone's bodily secretions. Like I just don't think of that as food, and I'm not at all tempted to to eat that. I would never think to eat that mm. um, because you know, veganism has become a big part of of who I am and how I, I view the world. Yeah, um, yeah that's very different from saying oh that food is bad because it's gonna make me fat and mm. you know I'm a bad person <laughs> if I if I give into it mm. yeah exactly and yeah with you it's it's changing the mindset isn't it you have when you approach food and not even just when it comes to viewing certain foods as good or bad like like you were saying veganism is just your normal like living a plant-based lifestyle it's not like you're not making a statement it's just the way you live right so it's just what you do especially especially when you travel and I would like to touch back on that because I'm I'm extremely curious because obviously we mentioned you'd been I believe you've been to Ethiopia that's how we kind of yeah how how was that because I know there's quite a lot of um, meat centric kind of foods in like traditional Ethiopian cooking so I'm curious about the kind of options that you found when you were you were there um, well, actually, Ethiopia, I visited before I was vegan. Oh. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> but, but I did eat a lot of vegan food when I was there. And looking back at my photos now, I'm like, hey, I know that dish. That's a vegan dish. <laughs> um, um, actually, that was what we would get most often would be, they call it the yetsam bayanetu, which is just mm -hmm. like a, a vegetable platter or a vegetarian platter is often how it's translated in uh, on menus in Ethiopian restaurants. Mm. Um, and so it's the injera, the the bread that you were talking about, the sourdough bread. Yeah. Um, 
that's used basically as the plate. And then on top of that, you'll have several different dishes that are placed on top. Uh, it'll usually be several different stews, like mm. lentil-based or chickpea-based stews, and um, then some other vegetable dishes as well. And um, yeah, we got that, we ate that all the time when we were in Ethiopia without, you know, thinking really about the fact that it was vegetarian or vegan. I have traveled uh, around Southern Africa as hmm. a vegan uh, pretty extensively. We, my husband and I had a three month trip there where we went to nine different countries. Oh, wow. Um, God. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we've, we, before that, we had our first big Africa trip uh, was in 2007, and mm. that was in West Africa. We spent about three months there. In 2010, we spent about three months in East Africa, and then in 2017, we spent uh, three months in Southern Africa. So that was the one where we were vegan, and um, yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, there there was a lot of variation from one country to another. Um, oh yeah. To, you know, what kind of things were available, and also the understanding of veganism. Um, in South Africa, and particularly in Cape Town, there's actually a really strong vegan movement right now. And oh. you have some amazing vegan restaurants there. Yeah, it's mm. really booming. Um, but in other countries, I couldn't find a single vegan. And I tried because I really <laughs> wanted to connect with vegans in these places. Mm. Um, and some places I just couldn't find any, but then others I did find vegans in places where I least expected it. Mm. Um, for example, in Botswana, we uh, we actually met some other travelers um, who were doing a similar kind of trip uh, to us, but in the opposite direction. So they had already oh. been to all the places that we were just about to go to. Mm. And when we said we were going to Botswana, they said, oh, yeah, you should, you know, do the canoe trip in the Okavango Delta. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. And they said, oh, yeah, we did it with this great guide, and he was vegan. And I was like, what? That <laughs> 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 their local safari guide in Botswana was vegan. But he was. He mm -hmm. they, So this couple gave us the contact details uh, for this guide and we got in touch with him and yeah, he has such an inspiring story. He, he comes from this tiny village. I mean, picture, you know, like the stereotypical African village with these little round huts and the mm -hmm. conical roof, um, just kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that's where he lives and that's where he grew up his whole life. And he's been vegetarian since he was 10 years old. Oh, uh, and, uh, so it, the kickoff point for him was when his grandmother told him to go get a goat out of the corral. Um, and he said, why, why are we taking this goat away from his mom, you know, and from mm -hmm. all of his friends, all of the other goats? And the grandmother explains, oh, we're going to eat the goat. And he was horrified. Mm. And, um, at 10 years old, uh, which I mean, I know I have heard quite a few stories of, of children who make that connection, you know, yeah. in some ways a little more easily than, than adults do. But I, I think it's incredible that, you know, they've been raised in this society that tells mm. them that this is what we do and this is normal. And then something in the heart tells them, no, this is wrong. And um, they, you know, rebel against against what people are trying to tell them to do that it's okay to eat animals so that yeah. was his experience 
experience and um, became vegetarian at 10 and then became vegan when he was 17. Um, he went away to South Africa to university to study nutrition because everyone kept telling him that, you know, he was going to die of a protein deficiency and he wanted to be able to prove them wrong yeah. with science. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so he went and got a nutrition degree so that he could tell them, no, look, uh, actually, I'm going to be just fine. And um, he never actually worked in nutrition. I don't think he was particularly interested in you know, having a career in that field, he just mm. uh, wanted to be able to show people that... Uh, just to prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so now he works as a guide um, in the Okavango Delta, which is an incredible area um, where you go on these uh, dugout canoes through mm. the tiny water channels, and there are animals all around. So we had elephants like walk right in front of our canoe oh my um, God. <laughs> really awe-inspiring and a mm. little bit scary because you know they were very close and they could have easily tipped over the canoe or you know um but uh our guide he uh, had a real connection with the animals and uh he also took us on a, a walking safari um, on one of the little islands uh, in the middle of the Delta. And we had been on a walking safari before in South Africa where the guides carried guns, you know, in case something does go wrong, mm. then um, they're prepared to kill the animals in order to um, protect the tourists. I mean, that's yeah. what it comes down to. This guy wasn't carrying a gun. And so I asked him about that. He said, no, no, I never carry a gun. Uh, the animals know they know that that I love them and I respect them and I'm not here to hurt them and so they respect me too and mm. I've never had problems and um, oh. <laughs> and I really did feel a difference. I don't know if it was just because of him individually that the mm. animals were reacting to him or um, also at that time Botswana uh, had completely um, banned hunting. All hunting was banned in South Africa where as it was not in, uh, sorry, in Botswana, hunting was banned. Mm. And in South Africa, where we had done our previous uh, walking safari, it was not banned. So mm. on the previous safari, we had noticed that the animals were very skittish. And as soon as they could smell a human, uh, they would run away. So we weren't yeah. really able to get close to them at all. But in Botswana, with this vegan guide, we were able to get a lot closer to the animals. And they really weren't afraid of us. Uh, in the same way that they were uh, on the previous uh, safari in South Africa. So I mm. thought that was really fascinating. Good. It's just, <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing with travel. You meet so many incredible people and I mean, just, wow, what, what a compassionate guy having that realization at such a young age. And I mean, you know, people act as if animals don't have like consciousness, as if they can't sense their surroundings, as if they don't get a sense of you as an individual and as a person, right? You know, it's like how dogs a lot of the time, have you ever had that where like, you know, a dog can almost sense that someone is dangerous who's around you, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like cl clearly they could just tell, like you said, you know, he's a very gentle person and wasn't there to hurt them or anything like that. But I'm I'm happy to hear that hunting has been banned, banned there, you know, good stuff. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think that law has changed with the oh. new government that's come in. Um, so uh, they are actually hunting elephants 
there right now, um, which, yeah, is very upsetting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of hunting that goes on in, uh, and also, you know, trophy hunting, like people yeah. from Western countries go yeah, over. over. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, a, you know, a, a lot of debate around the subject saying, oh, but we get a lot of money from the trophy hunters, you know, they pay a lot mm -hmm. of money the privilege of being able to do this and so that funds conservation efforts um but yeah i don't really think that's the right way to to fund conservation i think you you know you can also get a lot of money from the tourists who just want to come and take photos and yeah admire. exactly and then the animals get to stay there you know and many 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 more tourists can come and continue to see those same animals as opposed to having just one trophy hunter come mm. over the animal um so yeah it's um it's a a tough situation and uh, mm. i personally hope that uh, we will see the hunting banned in lots more countries yeah I, I i can't imagine the whole logic of like yes we should have people literally come over to kill animals so we can fund the conservation of other animals it's just insane to me like there's such a gap there but I mean, I know here in the UK, we have an issue with politicians who are trying to overturn the ban on like, you know, fox hunting here and are trying to make it legal for, you know, people to go out and shoot pigeons and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's exactly that, but I know that there's huge debate in this country, especially among the sort of more like upper class people, you know, eaten, educated and stuff like that about things like hunting. But I... I don't understand the kind of mentality you have to have as an individual to find doing something like that entertaining or enjoyable, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. I actually find that really disturbing that yeah. someone could uh, get pleasure out of killing someone else. Um, yeah. That's a huge red flag. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that's behavior that should be encouraged in society. And mm. uh, yeah, I... I try to have compassion for hunters but also i i really don't understand it and i think that you know our society would be better without it yeah i mean <laughs> i mean you can you can tell how compassionate you are as an individual having compassion for people like that as well and just everything you do and you travel and blog about it and you you know you're sending all that information to t so many people worldwide who read your blog and your website and everything and just you know are so informed about the fact that these options are out there and you can try them and of course on top of that I mentioned it <laughs> before we started the podcast but I'm going to bring it up now I know that you and your husband also have your own podcast which is called English in 10 minutes and I haven't listened to any episodes yet so I am I'm very curious what this is about okay yeah um so it's not really related to the nomadic vegan and the work that i do there although sometimes mm. there is some overlap um yeah. my husband is a teacher of english as a second language or at least has a background in that he has done that in the past and so yeah he started the podcast and i'm uh most of the episodes is um you know he and i talking together sometimes yeah. it'll be him talking to someone else um but usually it's the two of us and um it's the intended audience is for people who are learning english as a second language and want to have some practice um for listening comprehension but mm -hmm. 
um, actually anyone can enjoy it if you know if you enjoyed listening to the topics that we're talking about because mm. we talk in our normal voices at a normal pace. We're not, um, you know, slowing it down or dumbing it down for mm. the listeners because the point is to give them real, authentic language. Yeah. Um, so that they can practice understanding that as opposed to understanding the stilted, um, you know, very formal kind of textbook English that mm. you get a lot of times in classrooms. Um, so, yeah, that's the premise. And each episode is about 10 minutes long. And a lot of times we end up talking about our travels because it's just <laughs> kind of a natural subject, you know, for that we like to talk about. So um, I believe we do have an episode about the Okavanga Delta in the Botswana, in Botswana for example. Mm. Um, yeah, we've got more than 100 episodes. Um, we're actually not recording new episodes um, right now. That project mm. has kind of been put on hold, and it's a little bit early to talk about this, but we are working on a second podcast project. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's still in the works. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out, especially that specific you know, episode on everything we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago. But I think for anyone who's learning how to try, you know, <laughs> learning how to speak English, you know, in a, in a normal way where it doesn't sound really stilted and overly formal, uh, that kind of resource is fantastic because English is a language because um, during my undergraduate degree, I'm currently a master's student. I studied English literature and just grammatically English is all over the place. It's not like, you know, the Romance languages where there's so much more of a semblance of kind of pattern and structure. English is just very unpredictable in terms of the rules and what it does a lot of the time. So I think for anyone learning a second language is incredible as it is. And I mean, I know you're a polycot as well, so just congratulations for that. It's insane. But learning a language like English, you know, if you're doing that, you should be extremely proud of yourself. Because if you're a native speaker, you're already very privileged, you know, because it's seen as the default language by a lot of people in a lot of places. Um, but on top of that, it's it's difficult to learn. So, yeah. It is, yeah. It doesn't really follow its own rules very well, and it's not a very phonetic language. So um, it's hard to, you know, read a word and know how it should be pronounced. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that's why we wanted to create, you know, kind of real authentic contact for uh, content for people who are learning because the best way to learn a language is just to have lots and lots of input you know to listen yeah. to the language and to read the language as much as you can um, and then eventually you will start you know outputting the language as well and being able to speak it and and write it um, yeah I love learning languages that's mm. my other big passion and particularly right now when we're not able to travel very much I've really gotten back into my language studies and mm. I'm really enjoying that so it's a hobby that um, also uh, overlaps very well with my passion for travel because you know, they both kind of fuel each other and it's always mm. fun to be able to practice um foreign languages you know out in the wild traveling yeah. in the places where those languages are spoken um but yeah it can be a big challenge and um i don't speak any language perfectly even english <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, 
yeah I can imagine is it's challenging but I I definitely empathize with that whole sort of it's amazing getting the experience of actually going somewhere and speaking the language because you know when you are reading something like a textbook things can so easily be taken out of context or there are overly formal ways of speaking that people don't use anymore it's not normal to talk in that way because um when I traveled to Indonesia I um tried my best to learn like you know not like <laughs> I was never an advanced speaker, but I, I began to get a basics of the language and stuff like that. And there's nothing nicer than, you know, going somewhere and, you know, genuinely feeling like, you know, I can actually I can interact with people. And there are there are so many people, unfortunately, who travel abroad and they have this attitude of, you know, people will adapt to me. Do you get what I mean? And they make no effort to speak the language or anything like that. And I really I don't vibe with that kind of perspective. I think even if it's just hello goodbye and thanks you should learn something right yeah I agree um and we you know native English speakers are particularly guilty of that Um, (laughs) English has become the international lingua franca so we just kind of expect that people will be able to speak it but a lot of people don't and there's no reason that they should if you're in their country then the you know uh the ball's in your court to to learn at least a few uh, words like you said please and thank you and excuse me and I would also add meat eggs and dairy those are really useful words if you're going to be traveling as well. um, so learn, honestly learning how to say I am a vegan but you might need to explain it a little bit more than that um, because there might not be a word for vegan in the language some languages don't have that concept yet or even if the word exists the person that you're speaking to might not be familiar with that concept. So yeah. to be able to explain what you do and don't eat um, can be really super useful. Mm. Well, you heard it from the lady herself, the nomadic vegan. Learn how to say, you know, meat, eggs, dairy, and also how to explain what a vegan is. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on. I've really, really enjoyed this. This is one of the most fascinating and in-depth um, conversations I think I've had on this podcast so far. So all I can say is thank you. Just thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I really enjoyed talking to you, and it's been a lot of fun for me too. Yeah, amazing. Just, well, guys, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) I certainly did. I hope Wendy did as well. So check out her podcast. Check out what she does on her website. There are going to be links below to all of the kind of stuff that she does. I'm sure you're going to want to check it out. I'm Rachel. This is another episode of the Plant Simo podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. If I can get to the... (laughs) Bye, guys. (laughs) Bye. <laughs>